Welcome to the 69th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brennan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about Prometheus, including a longer form of Jack's Monodrama 2019 PDX Lightning Talk about some neat tricks with Prometheus. Yay! So we are back from Monodorama, and we'll be doing a show next week, kind of recapping things once the individual talk videos are up. But we had... A blast. Absolutely a blast. But Jack had the opportunity to speak on stage during the Lightning Talk segment and do a a rough-and-tumble, rapid-fire Prometheus talk, covering some tips and tricks. So a good Lightning Talk, at least for me, a good Lightning Talk is basically a knowledge bomb. You're going rapid-fire, you've got five minutes, or a little bit less, and you just want to drop out enough knowledge to open people's mind up to thinking differently, to seeing something new, and to letting them know there is a way to go and research and figure out what you just told them. And there was a great one um, last year at Monotorama about building a distributed debugging system with tracing, which I still think is pretty awesome. So Lightning Talks at Monotorama, um, join the Monotorama Slack after you get your invitation. And usually the weekend or late part of the week before Monotorama, Jason will open uh, Lightning Talk uh, submissions. And it's quick and informal, but yeah, your idea needs to be in um, Sunday, I think, or Saturday before Monotrauma actually starts. So it is sort of organized before the conference. And Jason does a pretty good job of of organizing all of the the speakers, including the Lightning Talk speakers, into kind of a, a thematic flow. So he'll take the Lightning Talk submissions, there's usually four, five, six of them, and organize them in a way that he feels is appropriate. So it's not a super technical talk and then a lighter weight talk and then something to make you think about things and then another super technical talk. He'll, he's, he's looking for a storytelling approach of some variety and he usually hits it pretty well. He usually hits it really well. So Jack, your talk was the second to last one, right? It was. I was number five out of six lightning talks. I was just surprised I got picked. But yeah, I was interested in doing a lightning talk and getting some new practice speaking at a conference, I was also there working for a consulting company. And I think before we go much further, I have to face facts. If you go and find my talk, you're going to find out who I work for. And well, Brendan and I are quite careful not to really talk about our clients or the folks we work for. Uh, this is our show. These are our opinions. This is our advice. These opinions are not representative of either our clients or our employer directly. Uh, there's a lot of overlap in terms of things we espouse and things that we do at work. But again, these are our opinions, and they are not representative of anybody else. Ah, oh, thank you for the legalese. But yeah, I work for a company called 42 Lines, and if you're surprised to hear that we're a consulting company, you haven't listened to the show very much. But we wanted to not only have a chance for me to get some practice doing a a presentation at a large conference, but a chance to get Fortitude Lines name in front of other people so that we could sort of build reputation. And a lightning talk is an excellent way to do that. Actually, all conference talks are a way to do that. 
you'll notice when you go to technical conferences that often the speaker will start with a, hey, I'm so-and-so. I work for such and such a company on this and that a team. And at the end, they'll almost always, to the point of it being humorous, say, hey, we're hiring. Um, this is a very common thing. And it's a way to both get a an individual to, to flex their professional the professional muscle of speaking publicly and being up in front of a crowd and preparing and organizing thoughts, as well as doing some some quiet advertising for their company, which there's nothing wrong with that. All right, so let's move on. So key thing about doing a lightning talk, practice. The worst thing is a good lightning talk that someone hasn't practiced, that they haven't quite figured out how to shove into five minutes. I think... I was the only one not drug off stage. I think that's a fair statement, yeah. But yeah, I went fast, and I thought I would do a slower version uh, for the show tonight. If Brendan can figure out how to link up my slides with the with the audio show. I think I can do that. Um, if you're using a podcast player that supports um, chapters, especially something like Overcast or some of the other modern podcast players that are not Apple podcasts. Um, a lot of them have chapter markers and they will display show art during the chapter marker. So I'm going to do my best to get those images inserted into the album art for the show for this episode. So hopefully you'll be able to see as we go along, if you're looking at your podcast player, what we're talking about. And for us dinosaurs, the show notes will have a link to my blog, which has the talk. And I will update when we have uh, the Talks from Monotrama published on YouTube for folks to watch. So you could actually watch and listen to me do the real thing. Awesome. And I'm not setting my clock for five minutes, so let's get started. All right. The first thing I talked about was Prometheus's up metric, which I think everyone who's familiar with Prometheus knows that you can use to tell if your scrape targets are up or down. The value of this metric is always one or zero, which makes it pretty simple to say, you know, up job equals foo equals zero, stick that into an alert expression, and you get an alert when the foo job is down. If you're coming from a Nagios world, this is analogous to the host check, the the kind of out of band, let's just make sure the thing is responding. The up the up scrape is almost always, did the scrape job itself succeed rather than did any particular metric come back? This is just where we able to contact the host and run. Usually since the exporter is part of the application you're monitoring, the fact that your application can respond to an HTTP request and give back valid output usually is a pretty good sign of health. Usually. But, of course, alerting on a single instance of your app in an SOA world where you probably have 10 or 20 or hundreds of instances of the same app, you don't care if one instance is down. Lord, please, don't alert on that stuff. Please stop. Really, the next step up is knowing that you have sort of a minimum number of viable instances. And that's the uh, second bit of PromQL on the first slide, which just simply use the sum aggregator to sum the up metric. And since it's either zero or one, if you get less than three, you know you have less than three healthy instances. Use a threshold that makes sense for you. The downside to this, of course, is you have to know in advance how many 
instances you want in your pool. So if you have a, a dynamic scaling group or whatever Google calls it, and you don't know what your target size is because it changes d- dynamically, this metric it's harder to kind of understand. Which brings us to the third bit of PromQL on the slide, which is where things start going, um, well, the talk got faster because we start adding in some magic here. Where you probably want to get to is knowing, is being able to scale dynamically, auto scaling group, what have you, and knowing that you have 80%, 90% some ratio of your applications up and healthy. If you fall below that ratio, you know that your application tier is having a bad day. But again, I'm using the power of the up metric that it's a Boolean metric. It's either zero or one. And that way you can use the average function, not to make an average, but actually to build a ratio of the number of up machines over the total number of machines, which is really powerful. I'm not a big fan of averages because they can be misleading when you use them haphazardly. But in this case, it builds a simple ratio, which gives you the ratio of of up machines to, help, to total machines and... 0.8 is 80%. There you go. And it also helps that for most things, in, in terms of auto-scaling groups, you don't take half the pool out at once. You usually have them slide down a scale slowly. So even a, downs, a downscaling event when you're coming off of a load, a load event, don't trip the, these ratios as long as it, they're set sanely. The problem with this, aha, is that service discovery can really sometimes play havoc uh, with with Prometheus, and can really alter your perception of the world. But I thought service discovery was flawless, Jack. Oh, 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 exactly. So maybe other people's service discovery works better. But I've definitely seen a lot of cases where an application instance goes down, the backend schedule, whatever it is, tries to reschedule, restart, whatever the job. But in that time interval, the job is removed from the service discovery method. So at that interval, Prometheus is not aware of that application. It doesn't have any metrics for that application. There's no data to alert on. Therefore, there are no pages on your pager, which is really disconcerting when you're thinking about I want to make sure I have 30 instances up and your service discovery is set to run 10 and things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's no fun for anyone. So this is where I tell folks to use the absent function in PromQL. This is really where it shines. Use the absent function on up job equals foo. Combine that with the or operator to either your minimum threshold or your ratio of number of machines up. And at that point, you have a really viable, robust alert uh, that you can use to make sure you have a safe number of your application instances up and healthy that doesn't page you every time one goes down and auto heals and is is really quite powerful. As a quick question, what exactly does the absent function do? Absent function returns one if the metric expression you pass to it returns no data. Okay. Which is awfully kind of confusing. But the concept of an alert in Prometheus is an expression 
that returns data. If the expression returns data, that alert is considered pending or firing. So when the alert doesn't return data, say all of your data is safely below your threshold, you know you're in a safe operating procedure, the threshold, the less than, the greater than, usually filters out um, all metrics, and there are no metrics returned, therefore your alert is silent. And that's exactly the case that happens when your apps fall out of service discovery. There's no data to alert on. The alert expressions don't return anything. And it's the absent function that works around that lovely little use case. Sounds good. The downside to absent is that I've definitely seen people fall down a slippery slope using this function. The slippery slope being, well, you need to to pair each alert with an absent alert to check to make sure the data is there so you know you can alert on it correctly. And I really find that slippery slope something you want to avoid pretty much at all cost. Prometheus metrics are designed to be unit testable in your unit test CICD framework, what have you. And usually when you start to fall down that slippery slope, it's because you're not unit testing your metrics. And that's that's not what alerts are for. So I usually tell people to use absent pretty sparingly, but this is the perfect use case for it. So slide number two. On this slide, I talk about the process start time seconds metric, which is the magical miracle of a metric. And this whole slide came out of some support requests that I handled where a team member wanted to figure out how to alert on if his applications were in some sort of restart loop. And the easy thing to do here is the first PromQL expression where you can alert if your application instance has restarted in the last five minutes. That's nice. Please don't do that. Probably where you want to be is figuring out is your application, is an instance of your application in a restart loop. Using the changes function there, having it like an hour look back, and you start to count how many times that metric, which is a Unix epic timestamp, uh, how many times that metric changed, which indicates how many times your process restarted. So process start time seconds is one of the, the built-in Go client library metrics? Yes. If you're using any of the Prometheus client libraries, Java, Go, Python, what have you, it should give you this metric for free without you Excellent. having to do anything, which is so super handy. But the icing on the cake in this particular case is when you want to know, are all your instances restarting strong bad? I really try to work in a strong bad reference there, but I just couldn't squeeze it into my lightning talk. Um, I'm using a bool modifier in the inner expression, the third PromQL expression on the second slide. That bool modifier makes that inner expression return a 1 or a 0, depending off, depending on if it uh, passes or fails for each application instance, which means I can then take that and shove that into average and build a ratio, not an average, but a ratio of how many instances of my application are in a restart loop over the total number of application instances. And if that ratio is more than 0.5 or more than half, well, you know you're having a bad day. And the handy thing is this will often catch a, a job or a tier, especially a large job, that as you're rolling out a change to it and things aren't stable, especially for things when you have hundreds of instances of a job and you're doing them as a slow rollout, 
this will alert you to the fact that you may have a bad build and things are starting to go off the rails before all of your services are unavailable to your end users. In my original support case that sort of spawned this idea, we were looking at a configuration issue with a backend database and the apps would come up, would be responsive, would serve metrics, figure out that something was bad wrong and would would exit, the scheduler would restart them. And so this was actually able to pick up on the situation. The caveat here that I want to bring up that was not in my lightning talk, something near and dear to Brendan's heart. And that is that Prometheus, this particular metric, is not going to tell you why your application is restarting. Not even a little bit. That's not what metrics do, folks. Depend not Depending on whatever kind of metrics you alert on from your scheduler or what have you in, in the back end, you're not going to get good data on why your applications are starting. That, indeed, is what Elk is for. Yes. The the metric is a codified thing that you're trying... You, you've, you've identified a pattern that you're looking for and you're trying to instrument that pattern. Whereas the log is the kind of free form, hey, what happened? Don't Don't confuse and conflate the two. Although you can do some of the what happened here with your next slide. <laughs> and this is where the magic starts. This is totally my favorite slide. So slide number three, use build info. This is not a for free metric, but every application you build, support, have anything to do with that does Prometheus uh, metrics should have a build info metric. It's definitely Prometheus best practice. They are one of the most useful metrics ever. Um, in my slides, I've copied the uh, Prometheus build info metric directly from the metrics that Prometheus exports about itself as a really superb example. I've shortened it just a little bit for presentation things. The value of this metric is always one, staying with the theme here. The power of this metric is in the labels you associate with it, like your build ID or application version. Or the git hash of the current build version. However you do your, your versioning system, you can use this to track a rollout or a problem of a specific type and then watch to see if those problems go away when you roll the next version. And normally I would say that these are high cardinality labels, stay far, far away, but you're expressly configuring one metric instance per application. So the worst damage you're doing to your time series database is one additional metric per application instance. And if you build 100 versions of your application a day and release them all into prod every day, that is not terribly high cardinality, That's honestly. not a lot. It's when you get into tens of thousands of metrics is when you have a problem. So yeah. this is a safe thing to do. But this suggests that perhaps Prometheus can aggregate by, say, the version of your application instead of application tiers or server racks or something silly. And yes, yes, you can. So the first bit of PromQL on the slide uh, looks at the Go MemStats metric, which for a Go application returns how much memory is currently allocated by the Go runtime. And so if you want to look at memory usage by version information, well, we can simply multiply these two metrics together since build info is always one. And with a little bit of group left magic, which is on the slide for folks to copy, 
you can insert the version label from the build info into the results of the, the expression. Kids, go take this at home and try it. That's super powerful. So, of course, that leads to the fact that you can wrap that, those results, in some sort of aggregation function. I demonstrate a median with the quantile function to figure out what's the median memory usage per application version across my deployment. And suddenly, you can see if the newly deployed version has fixed that memory leak that you thought you had. And this technique, you know, totally travels. Um, you can suck out the kernel version from your node exporter metrics and use that in a similar way. More or less, any label that might be unique or have special meaning that your application exports can be used in a similar way. Okay, so we move on to slide number four, the cheater's guide to histograms. For those of you that have listened to this podcast, for those of you that have listened to my or, or read my blog, and for those of you that were at Monotorama, it was kind of an interesting, subtle theme about the inefficiencies, the struggles that Prometheus histograms present. They're not exactly accurate, not without great effort. And sort of the point about histograms is to be able to generate reasonably accurate quantile estimations. They're estimations, but quite frankly, most of the histogram bucket configurations that folks have with Prometheus in practice generate 100% error or more. And yeah, be scared now. So what I usually see people doing Hang on, is, did, did you say 100% error? Yes, I said 100% error. Ouch. I have a, a example in one of my uh, blog entries, which I think demonstrates how easy it is to get like 300% error or something crazy. It's a contrived example, but... And we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well for the dear yeah. listener to, to peruse. This is honestly the one real weakness of Prometheus is its histogram implementation. They're better than no histograms at all, but histograms are really powerful, and it's the state we're in is a little disappointing. But what I see folks do a lot is add a ton of buckets to improve accuracy, or otherwise combine histograms with a larger application that might they might want to figure out, okay, I've got different devices sending API requests that you want to separate out. You've got different handlers within the application. And suddenly you start adding labels to your histogram and you've got an application that's exporting like 80,000 metrics for a single histogram. And then your Prometheus server becomes sad. Very, very sad. Again, cardinality. So in situations like these, if you're doing latency and SLO testing, which a lot of folks are, it's really what these have been sort of designed for. We can cheat. The problem with cheating is that your application needs to know what your SLO time is. And that's not a new concept. Uh, the Prometheus best practices really suggest knowing what your SLO time is and making sure you have a histogram bucket uh, boundary on those SLO times. So it's not new, but we can sort of take it to the extreme here. Make your SLO time a parameter for your application. Export that sucker so you know what it is. You'll want to track and make sure it's what you think it is. Instead of a histogram, 
use counters. Count three things. Count the total number of events in your pipeline, whether your pipeline's a API endpoint or what have you. Count the number of events that caused errors in your pipeline. Count the number of events in the pipeline that took more time than the SLO time to process. You can add uh, several dimensions of labels here, and it's a lot lower cardinality than using a histogram. You don't get all of the super rich features that you would get out of a full-spectrum histogram looking at, for example, latency, because you don't have all of that data in there. However, you can very handily and cheaply see if you've hit your SLO. And that is magic for alerts. That's magic for dashboard owners. That is something that your SRE team will thank you for. The PromQL on the slide is an example of a ratio events that took longer than the SLO time over total number of events and using it to calculate, am I meeting my SLO of 90% of events or processed in 10 seconds or less in the last 24 hours? You lose the ability to do arbitrary, histo- um, arbitrary percentiles here, but you know if you've broken your SLO as long as it's well-defined, and you know it's accurate. No estimation is involved. And you can extend this technique uh, to track multiple SLO times if that is what's required. But that's really super simple, cheap, and something that will scale much better than histograms with endless buckets on them. One of the talks, as a side note, that we'll be covering later as we talk about Monodorama was a talk given by Evan Chen about sort of the problem with histograms in Prometheus. And he was he was going into the cardinality explosion when you have histograms of with enough buckets to, co- to properly cover your range of errors. And he's talking about billions of time series. And that's just not tenable. You, just, you can't do that. So he, he had a different solution to the problem that deserves its own segment on the show. But he gave a good talk. And with these four metrics, you basically get the, the baseline of what you need really, really cheap. My fifth slide was just something simple and fun that is a less commonly known aspect about Prometheus. It's easy to figure out uh, your samples per second that your Prometheus server is ingesting. It's easy to extrapolate that out to, say you want to keep 30 days of retention on disk. Cool. But what bytes per sample number do you multiply that by? The Gorilla algorithm uh, tries to hit about 1.5 bytes per sample on on quote-unquote average. But depending on your use case, the data you have, it may be vastly different. And the expression on screen shows you how to core your Prometheus database and figure out what your bytes per sample actually is for your data. The second example, if you have a large fleet of Prometheus instances, uh, demonstrates how to make a median across multiple instances. But really the top expression is is probably the most useful one. I have Prometheus servers that do 3.5 bytes a sample. I've got Prometheus servers that do like 0.6 bytes a sample. So this can actually vary quite a bit. And it helps you to forecast and estimate your storage needs and all kinds of other yep. other pieces of the Prometheus stack that you're running, as well as showing off to your bosses exactly how much space you need for the system as compared to others. So Graphite uses about 12 bytes per sample. And I think we've belabored before, you can put metrics in Elk. 
Um, but that was what makes Brendan's head hurt. Yeah, we, when we last looked at it, it's it's been quite a while. I want to say it was about four times the cost on disc to do Elk or to do Lucene than it was to do the Prometheus TSDB. And I'm sure that there's more tuning that I could do if a dear listener has a has a better solution or has seen better numbers than that. Please let me know. But I have not seen an, a a disc efficient way to do that yet, so we hadn't really gone deeply down that path. So that was the content of my. Five-minute lightning talk in slow-mo. It's always kind of nice to unpack these lightning talks and get more of the specifics out of them and kind of talk through some of the pieces. One of the things that I'm always frustrated about with lightning talks is how fast they move, and that's sort of the point. They have to go quick. But you're trying to absorb whatever the, the crucial pieces of the talk are as fast as you can and make you think about things in a different way. So it's always kind of good to to go back afterwards and look through it. And I, I mean, I've learned stuff hearing you talk to me about this right now. So I like teaching things. I like doing presentations. In fact, doing the presentation at Montrama was pretty freaking cool. But yeah, a good lightning talk to me is a knowledge bomb. You kind of want to take someone just the precipice of being overwhelmed by a new idea, a new feature new powers and sort of lock them into what's capable, what's possible there and then tell them how to find out more information. And yeah, I've, I learned more information from a good lightning talk than a lot of the full length talk slots because the lightning talk isn't stepping you through things one by one. You're, there's a lot of assumed knowledge already there and it's, it's, you can do this so much better if you, and you download the slides, rewatch the talk and figure it out. And to me, that's definitely a, a, a better way to learn. Please take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recovered, shows we've recorded, or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. Also, if you have coworkers or other people that you think would enjoy this podcast, feel free to share it. We would love to have more listeners in terms of getting feedback and getting ideas of things to bounce off. We always want more ideas for the show, and that's how we get them. And I think that wraps it up for the 69th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Yes, Dick